Well, I'm excited to be with you guys today. Uh, this is a little different. Usually I'm sitting in the crowd yelling at Nate or Ivy about, I don't know, rebounding or something. But, um, you know, as I was uh, getting prepared this week, uh, you know, I was kind of talking to my kids and they're all excited. You know, they've listened to me my whole life speak, being a pastor, being a youth pastor for 25 years and that kind of thing. And as I was talking to Nate, Nate was like, you know, Dad, you know, you're in charge. And I was like, what do you mean I'm in charge? He said, well, like, you know, you're in control. You know, and I was like, okay. And I was like talking to Ivy a little bit earlier. And of course, the only thing she won't talk about is where we're going to go eat after this. And, uh, and then Nate, and I was like, Nate, what do you mean by like being in control? So like, you can let us out early. So those are my kids. <laughs> uh, one wants to go eat and one wants to get out of chapel early. So, you know, I know that probably speaks to where you're at. Um, but I was like, you know, I was given the passage that I, I was given today because you guys are like going through Romans. And so I was trying, I was looking at it, and I was thinking, like, how in the world am I going to get this to, like, fit where students are? Because it's, it's I mean, I, it, okay, I'm going to do the best job I can. And I was telling my wife, she said, you're going to talk about that? And I was like, well, yeah. So this is going to be a loose application of kind of where we're going. But here's what Calvin will say today. As I, we've been going through a series about what makes you happy at our church. You know, we all know that there are things that make us happy. For me, it's donuts. And uh, for you, it could be anything else. It could be shoes or whatever. But here's kind of what I've learned. Happiness kind of flows from one thing. It flows from peace. If you're at peace, you're pretty much happy, right? I mean, and we get this from Jesus when he said, to love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, and mind, and strength, and to love your neighbor as yourself. And so we get the idea that happiness flows out of the sense of peace. And if we're at peace with God, then we're pretty much happy. So if, you're, if your relationship with God is kind of tracking right now and you kind of get it and everything's working for you, you're, you're pretty happy. If you're at peace with others, then you feel pretty happy right now. There's no turmoil, no drama, hopefully, going on. And then if you're at peace with yourself, because we know, obviously, if you love yourself, it's kind of easy to love other people. And so as I was looking at this passage today and kind of looking at kind of what we're speaking about, my, my wife actually kind of brought this application into it because what we're going to be talking about is kind of how to get along with other people, more specifically your roommate. Now, this would have worked better probably in September, right? Because, you know, like some of you are like just praising God, this is in the semester, you get to leave that bozo that you've been living with. But I understand where you're coming from. And so I kind of want to apply this to where we're at because we all understand what it means to live with someone that's difficult. I do very specifically understand that. Now, here's what I know about happiness. Anything that undermines your peace undermines your happiness. So if you're in turmoil, you're in turmoil in a relationship, if you're in turmoil with God, if you're in turmoil with yourself, you're pretty much, you're unhappy. You're probably miserable. So this more specifically is going to apply to maybe the other people in your life, but maybe those people directly that you have to live with. You know what I mean? Because your friends are the things that you choose to do free time with. You go out and you, you choose to do these things, and those are the people you have to... You have no choice but to go back and stay in that room with that person that you have to get along with. So I'm going to take this passage, and I, I kind of speak from experience, because in college, I didn't have the unique experience that you have. And that unique experience is that you hopefully are going to school with other followers of Christ. Now, I understand that even in a Christian college, there are people here who are still trying to figure that out. And you don't really kind of know how your faith and whether or not you're going to take this very seriously. But the cool thing is you're in an environment where you're being influenced. Now, I grew up in a Christian home, a faith-based family. And, you know, I, I don't know, being a pastor is kind of in my blood because my dad was a pastor. My grandfather was a pastor. So I'm kind of doing the family business. You know, I didn't really have a choice. And so in doing this, you know, I was always around believers. And so when I went off to college to play JUCO basketball, I was immediately thrown into an environment that was just totally not something I was used to. And I was around these, you know, unbelievers, 
uh, you know, crazy roommates who pretty much cared about two things, basketball and how many girls they could bring back to the room. And so one thing I didn't know about going into college is that I was going to have multiple roommates, and that was going to be girlfriends who lived with me, you know, and uh, how that was going to flesh out. And then I, after transferring to Auburn, I had another roommate who was just like, had no hygiene. And if you've ever kind of pictured this person in college who just, somebody didn't ever taught them, quit pointing fingers and hit people uh, right now, but, you know, if you never taught them hygiene, didn't have any manners. I mean, I came home one day, and this guy literally had a pile of clothes in our bedroom reaching the ceiling. It reeked so bad that our neighbors were knocking on the door saying, did something, somebody die in there? And, you know, it was kind of like that. So I kind of get the experience of what it's like to be forced into a situation where you got to live with someone. So I want to look at this from a perspective, and I kind of want to throw this out there, and I want to jump into the background. Now, before I do that, before I get into the passage of Romans 15, I want to say this. Now, when Paul was writing this, this is a huge stretch, okay? Paul was talking to a group of believers, and you kind of track with me because you've been doing this and talking to Romans. Paul was talking to a group of believers who were coming from a whole bunch of different faith backgrounds. I mean, you had Jews becoming believers, you had Gentiles becoming believers, you had people who had like no faith background whatsoever becoming believers, and so they were dragging all of their traditions into their faith, and that makes for conflict, especially in a new group of people kind of trying to figure out their faith. Now, that conflict, obviously, Paul was writing about, and he was saying, now listen, I'm going to show you how you can have peace with other people, more specifically, the people that you're attending church with, so I kind of took that application, which is more specifically for the body of Christ, brought that to the campus here. Now we're kind of going to throw it into the roommate situation. So you kind of see where I'm going and how I'm tracking with this, right? Kind of see how I'm, I'm playing with the passage a little bit. So we're going to get into this. We're going to look at Romans chapter 15. And I kind of want to give you like four or five attitude adjustments. You know what an attitude adjustment is? It's when your parents come to you and say, you need to change your attitude. And I want to look at that from this perspective. So if you have your Bible, you want to follow along with me, I want to talk about this. Now, before we get into this, this is kind of what it says. Paul defines two groups of people. There's this weak group of people and this strong group of people. There's this weak group of Christians, and by that we think by definition, maybe that's a group of people who possibly, you know, don't live their faith out, who maybe are always stumbling, who maybe are always giving into temptation, who sin a lot. That's not actually the definition of it. And then we think of a strong group of people like being, you know, like they never sin, they're always in love with Jesus, everything's kind of working out in their life, and that's actually not what he's talking about. What he's talking about by weak and a strong person is, the weak person is a person who has a trigger in their life. And that trigger is from their past. It may be that you struggle with alcohol. It may be that you struggle with other things. It could be girls. It could be cussing. It could be environments. And then that trigger kind of filters over into your new Christian faith, and you're easily triggered. And so you're weak because if you have that trigger happen, then you're going to fall back easily into faith. And Paul's saying, those of you who are strong don't have these triggers. Now, I don't have a trigger for uh, alcohol. Never have. I don't really like this stuff. I mean, if alcohol was Mountain Dew, I'd be an alcoholic, right? Uh, I, have, I do have a trigger for donuts. If the Krispy Kreme light's on, we're going. I don't care if we're broke or whatever. You know, the hot light's on, I'm pulling over. And so there are certain triggers in my life, and one is eating. You know, obviously, Ivy got that from me. And so uh, those are kind of, so like being around alcohol was never really a trigger for me. So I can like go in a bar and hang out and talk to people, and it doesn't bother me. I can be around other people who are drinking a beer, and I'm just kind of not affected. For some of you, that's a huge trigger. And so what he's saying is that we have a responsibility as believers to kind of know 
where other people are at and what triggers them to fall, that cause them to fall or be discouraged in their faith. So that's the perspective. That's kind of the background. Let's kind of take that and let's, let's kind of jump into it and let's look at four ways we can change our attitude toward the people that we're living with, more specifically our roommates. The first attitude that Paul gives us is to be considerate. Now, that kind of goes without saying. Romans chapter 15, we who are strong ought to bear with the failings of the weak. This word bear means to come up under and to kind of shoulder the responsibility. It kind of means that I know kind of what's going on in this friend of mine's life, and I know where it is that they are easily tempted. I know what causes them to fall easily. I know what it causes them to to mess up. And so I'm going to be in tune with, and I'm not going to be critical, but not not only am I going to know what's going on in their life, I'm going to come alongside them, and I'm going to bear with them. I'm going to lift them up. I'm going to pray for them. I'm going to be there for them. And so here's a question you probably have never asked, because the only thing you're thinking about right now is how to get out of this roommate situation. You can't wait because it's in the semester. But here's kind of where this is going. How can you invest in the person's life that you're living with? How can you invest in someone else's life so that you are actually encouraging them to grow stronger in their faith, to get over and past their past weaknesses, past their triggers, the things that cause them to fail, things that cause them to fall? And then he goes on to say, okay, listen, you got to be considerate. you got to kind of shoulder other people. you got to listen. you kind of got to be in the moment. And that's so hard, especially in your college. you got all these things going on. You got rehearsals, you got things to go, you got activities for the weekend, you got tests and things to write. And he's saying, when you are around these people, as a follower of Christ, your responsibility is to bear up, is to come up and shoulder and to help these people. So the first attitude adjustment we have is to be considerate. The second one is to be selfless. Romans 15, verse 1 through 2. And then he goes on to say this. So if you didn't get the first part, this really is easy to follow along with. Not to please ourselves, each of us, and that, that, that kind of takes everyone, you know, puts everyone on the hook for, for speak. It's not just the strong. Everyone has this responsibility. This is the responsibility of all followers. Right? Each of us should please our neighbors for their good to build them up. Now, being selfless really has two parts to it. There is this inward responsibility, and then there's, there's outward behavior. And I want to look at two of them. Not to please ourselves. That's about, I have the freedom to do some things. I have the freedom to make certain choices because I don't have these triggers in my life. I have the freedom to kind of be who I am. But I'm going to be so selfless and so sensitive to where other people are that I'm going to be in tune with them. And it's not about what I have the freedom to do, but what I have the responsibility to do to help them. So each of us must please our neighbors. Now, here's a motivation you think about. And you've never probably thought about that. How can you make your friend's life happier? I mean, how can you come alongside of and invest in to where you make and bring peace to their life? Because you don't really know what's going on. And by now, hopefully, you kind of know where they're coming from. You know that they come from a different family background. They have different life experiences. And you know kind of the turmoils and the things that kind of upset their life and kind of turn over the apple cart, if you will. And so you know where they're coming from. And what you're going to do is you're going to step up and say, you know, I'm not just going to listen. I'm not just going to open my eyes and kind of nod at them and, you know, kind of act like I'm listening, but I'm really asleep playing on my phone or something. I'm going to actually take the next step, and I'm going to do what pleases them. I'm going to do what brings happiness to them. I'm going to find how I can invest in them. And then he goes on to say, look at this. Each of us should please our neighbors for their own good to build them up. It's not just to make them happy 
but it's somehow to strengthen their faith. You may not know this, but some of you, especially some of you who come from a very strong faith background, some of you don't. You, this is maybe your first environment that you've ever been in where you're surrounded by believers all the time and you go home and your life's a turmoil and it's a mess. And really, you can't wait to get back to Sterling because you feel some sort of sense of connection because you're around other believers and they kind of get where you're at. But you go home and you don't have that and you don't really know how that works for you because maybe your parents don't get along or there's some other things that are happening. Here's what Paul is saying. You're so in tune with kind of where other people are at, that you're going to look past whatever it is that's happened in your life, and you're going to look for people who have troubles. And in that, you're going to actually say, I'm going to take the next step to pay attention to how I can make their faith stronger. Now, have you ever thought about the fact that maybe just possibly God had a plan, and in that plan, he puts you with this person. He puts you with this friendship. He puts you in this group of people because he wants you to live out your faith to give this person hope. That's exactly what Paul says in the next couple of verses. In fact, he uses Jesus as an example. He goes on to Romans chapter 15, verse 3. Jesus is our example of being selfless. For even Christ did not please himself, but as is written, the insults of those who insult you have fallen on me. Basically, he's saying that Jesus took on the troubles of the troubled. It was Jesus' job to come alongside and say, you know what? I'm not just going to exist and kind of just make it through life. I am going to take on the troubles of the troubled. I am going to burden myself with other people's burdens. And so our example to be selfless comes from Christ. The third thing he says, an attitude adjustment, is to be teachable. Romans chapter 15, verse 4, For everything that was written in the past was written to teach us so that through endurance taught in the Scriptures and the encouragement they provide, we might have hope. Now, here's, where the, here this, here's kind of where I see this going. Your faith, as it's tracking along, and as you're growing in your faith, hopefully as you're learning more about your faith, as you're connecting more with Jesus, as you're falling more in love with the God of, you know, and it, maybe as you're just kind of figuring out, am I going to be more invested in my faith, and am I going to take these next steps? He's saying that faith is not just kind of, you're just kind of an isolated situation, but rather God placed you at this point in time with this person in your life so that you can give them hope. Because by them looking at your faith, they find encouragement. By them watching you at certain situations and making unique decisions that are kind of unfounded and unlike anything they would choose to do, you give them hope. You help them to see there's a reality. And it's not just kind of like going to a Christian college and hearing all these things and, and talking about God and, yeah, we believe in Jesus. But it's a relationship-based thing, and they see that you have this relationship. They see the reality of that relationship, and that relationship gives them hope. And it all comes from the attitude of being teachable. It all comes from the attitude of knowing that in this moment, God has placed me here so that I can learn something in order that I can use what I know in order to help other people. So you may not think that that is a very significant point, but I really believe that God put me in those unique situations in order that being teachable in a moment that was really, for me, crisis moments of faith in places that I didn't know how to talk about my faith and even moments where I was so uncomfortable with what's going on in my apartment, you know what I'm saying? God could use me. He taught me how to share my faith with someone who'd never heard about God before. He taught me how to talk to someone whose parents had gone through a divorce when my parents were together. He taught me how to be in tune when one of my roommates went through crisis. And in those teachable moments, that hope that I gave 
actually allowed me at one point to take one of those crazy people who were living with me and one day when he was broken, sit on his bed and lead him to Christ. I mean, that's, that's, that's how God has orchestrated this stuff. That's how God is involved in what he's doing. And so it's not just some, you know, wild sense of chance that God threw this person in your room. You're like, oh, dear God, when am I, when's this going to end? That, you know, that, that moron, I can't wait for them to go. And what, it, but you, you have been given this opportunity to be teachable and to be used. Finally, the last attitude, to be for each other. Romans 5, verse 5. May the God who gives endurance and encouragement give you the same attitude of mind toward each other that Christ Jesus has, so that one mind and one voice you may glorify the God of Father, Lord Jesus Christ. I thought this is such a just a great thing a coach should say before a basketball game or something or football game. We're on the same team and one mind, one voice. Go out there and kill them. But here's what God. Here's here's kind of what uh, here's kind of what Paul is saying to us. You know, he's saying, can you have the same attitude that of Christ Jesus? That the attitude Jesus had was selfless and that he was for other people. Now, when you are not at peace with a person, you're not for them, are you? You're against them. They become somebody that has brought turmoil to your life, somebody you want to get as far from as you possibly can, someone you don't want to connect with, and the last thing you want to do is invest in their happiness. But he's saying the same attitude as Christ Jesus that's the attitude you should have, to be for them. The endurance and encouragement that you have comes from the attitude of Christ Jesus. And with one mind and one voice, essentially, by you taking on Christ in those situations, you glorify God. And so here's something so unique you may have never thought about, that this situation that you thought has just kind of brought you down and discouraged you and you can't wait to get out of, God wants to use it to glorify him. God wants to use something as simple in your life as living with someone that you can't get along with to glorify him. And that all comes from your attitude. It all comes from how you back up and change the way you see how God has orchestrated this situation and how God wants you to be practically involved in the lives of others. So that's my two cents. My conclusion is this. Do you want to have peace with others? Do you want to have happiness? If you want to, it begins with your attitude. It begins with where you decide, I'm going to, you know what, I'm going to change my attitude right now. I'm not going to see this as, you know, like Satan's been involved and he sent me the devil to live with. Or I'm not going to see it like, you know, I'm just kind of caught in the middle and I want to get out of this. I'm going to see this. God has given me this opportunity to be encouraging, to bear with, to step in, in order that I can have peace with others. And I essentially really believe that it does begin with, even with roommates and hopefully with a Christian roommate. Would you join me in prayer? Heavenly Father, I thank you so much for this day. God, I thank you for your truth. I thank you for your grace. I thank you that a passage can apply to multiple situations. And I just pray that you've taken this and applied this as practically as you can. God, I know that there are students here today who've just been in crisis all year because of their roommate situation. We understand that even Christians can be hard to live with. We understand, God, that they're difficult people. And God, I just pray grace and truth and help in their life. And I pray more than that, that they would take a step beyond and outside themselves to be selfless and to invest in the hurts of others, to be in tune so much that they're not so concerned with what's going on in their life, but they look for hurting people. And they come along those people and they bear with in order that they can bring peace to their lives, which essentially brings happiness. God, thank you for our Christian college. 
which continues to support and encourage our students to keep Christ first because that is so important. And truly, that's where happiness flows out of. God, we love you. We praise you. We thank you so much for Jesus who gives us eternal life. We ask all these things in Jesus' name. Amen.